Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. I am Danielle. I'm filling in for Bill and Claire today um, as they are sick. Actually, everybody in our house is sick except me. So I get to play nursemaid, uh, which is not great because I don't have any natural nurturing side. So I just sort of throw food at them and hope that they take their medicine on time. At any rate, uh, we're going to be missing our normal episode this week, so we thought that we would let you guys listen to an interview that Claire actually got to sit in on, where the guys from the It Mod Chat cast interviewed um, some documentary filmmakers uh, about the film Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, we thought that would be a good fit because next week we will be back at our regular time with The Wolfman. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to do Creature of the Black Lagoon, and that will close out our hashtag Operation Universal Horror uh, run of films. I do just want to say before you listen to this, because I am a major Star Wars uh, fan, that my husband does not represent our family, and his shameful gaffe in this episode should in no way, shape, or form uh, color your impression of our podcast as a whole, although it might. Uh, at any rate, if you do not already subscribe to the chat cast, I urge you to go over um, and check them out. This episode originally ran on that feed. Um, you can find them on the social medias at itmodcast. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you back next week. Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I am your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Billy's here. All right, all right. Hey First guys. Off, Billy, shh, shh. Billy is here. <laughs> He's the indie dork. But more importantly, Claire, star of Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures podcast is here. Hey, Claire, how's it going? Good. Yeah? This is your first time on the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. It's a pretty big deal, right? Meh. Meh. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know, Claire. I think this is a pretty epic episode. This is our Halloween episode, and we are joined by two really spooky guests We've got Andre Gower and Henry McComas of Wolfman's Got Nards, the documentary that Billy and I got to see at the Chattanooga Film Festival and is now screening. Actually, it's in the past because that's how time works. (laughs) It screened at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia, and we had an opportunity to go up, talk to them, watch the movie. We love the movie. You got to go watch this movie. Go buy it. When it comes out, (laughs) go buy it. Listen to Claire. Claire. Uh, you're a big time Monster Squad fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, like we talk about a little bit with Andre and Henry, uh, why you like the Monster Squad, but can you give us like a another version of, of of why you like this film so much? Well, the film has a is interesting mm-hmm. because like they did make movies like like Wolfman meets Frankenstein and. And they made Monster High, which is a series of movies of the descendants of these universal horror characters. Like Draculaura is Dracula's daughter. Frankie is Frankenstein's daughter. Um, I forgot her name, but it's like something like Clarissa, but she, but she is the mummy's daughter. 
There is Wolverine. No, no, not Wolverine. That's <laughs> I, mean, I do like There's Wolverine. Claudine. He is a kind of Claudine. Wolfman. There's Claudine, mm -hmm. which is um, Wolfman's daughter. Okay. And then there is um, the snake girl. Like that is the snake's queen. Medusa. Medusa. Yeah, Medusa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you like the idea of the monster as a squad and bringing them all onto the screen together? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Billy... Did you grow up with Monster Squad? I, I did not. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I... Honestly, I don't think I saw this as a kid. I think I saw it once I was, like, 18 or 19 for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't the movie that I grew up with as a kid. But, like, discovering it, I think kind of what Andre and Henry wind up talking about in their documentary and, like, the fandom and the rediscovery of it as you get to 2006, 2007... Like, I, I get what people connect with in sure. that movie, and I, I see the enjoyment. In yeah. It. I mean, Monster Squad was, like, my movie as a kid. Like, yeah. I love the Monster Squad. You could all have the Goonies. I'll have the Monster <laughs> I was a Goonies squad. kid, yeah. But, like, what's great about Wolfman's Got Nards is that it is a film that's not necessarily about, like, why is the Monster Squad great, although you'll find reasons why the Monster Squad is great sure. within the documentary. It's more about, like, what does it mean to love a thing, and why do people, uh, like, why does fandom arise around a certain, you know, right. film or book or whatever? Why this movie and why not this another movie? movie and, yeah. and, and how does that happen? And I don't think you necessarily need to be, like, a Mancha Squad fanatic to appreciate Wolfman's Got Nards at all. And I think no. that's, like, what's so special about the documentary. I mean, even in the conversation, Henry talks about the fact that, like, he's pitching Fred Decker as, look, this is... It is a celebration of Monster Squad, but it's more a celebration of the fandom that comes up around it and what it means to love movies. And if you've loved a movie, he yeah. says, you can love this movie. It's a big hug around Fred Decker. It really is. Yeah. So let's just get into this conversation, and we'll meet you back out on the other side. I have some questions with Billy that arise in this conversation about Star Wars. Oh, God. Oh, Claire, you got you got something you want to say? <laughs> other side is Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures thing. You cannot take that. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. Did I steal that from yes. Billy Claire? I think Billy stole that from me because I think I said other side before Billy did. That might I'm, be true. I think I think that might check out. That, I think he stole that from In the Mouth of Darkness. It might check out. I didn't sue because Billy's a friend and you're a friend, so I won't sue either of you. But I think I think other side was mine. Anyway, we'll meet you back on the, the other side. The other side of the conversation. Now I'm paranoid. Anyway, let's go talk to Henry and Andre. <laughs> here we go. And here we are. We're back at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, our favorite projection booth in all of America. We've got yeah. the best shining carpet below our feet right now. And we are joined by Wolfman's Got Nards filmmakers, Andre Gower and Henry McComas. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We really thank appreciate you. it. We Thanks got having mustaches us. on the poster, yeah. mustaches on the Andre. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I came prepared. We may have to borrow that mustache for one of these posters. I think <laughs> Rachel McAdams needs that mustache. I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty I'm pretty confident there's a deal that could be worked out here for uh, Miss uh, McAdams. All right. Just, all right. You, know, you want to put your mustache on Rachel <laughs> No, so no, no. She's like, quiet. I'm so glad I started with that. that oh, was my really God. funny, Brad. Um, we set the tone. Yes. Woo! Whoa, so, look at the time. The last time we talked to you guys was at the Chattanooga Film Festival, yep. uh, where you premiered Wolfman's Got Nards, right? Sure did. Correct. So that was the uh, first time that people in a room and an audience had actually seen it. And the first time I got drunk on a riverboat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, something that you do once and then do many more times. After, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, what has the last year been like since you premiered it? Like, 
you know, you're on this tour with the Alamo Draft House doing Doc Till You Drop. Uh, what what has this been experience been? Because you've gone everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The, our our festival run was pretty banging. I mean, we you know we premiered at Chattanooga um, one because I I, I love the Dorches. Uh, I think it's a great yeah. uh, film festival. Uh, I love everybody that goes to it. I think it's a great vibe. Uh, and that timing worked out perfect because we had just kind of locked, you know, that was the next festival that was available to go to right when we were kind of done with something to take. Uh, and then it's, things just started kind of, um, you know, rolling from there. And we went to Outlook like the weekend after that next one. In New Orleans. Uh, in New Orleans. Uh, we won the Audience Award. At, at, I'm sorry, at Overlook. And... Um, and then we, and then we, the summer came, and we had, a, you know, we went to Popcorn Frights, we went to Fright Fest in All London, uh, we went to Sitges, uh, we were Salem. in Austria, we were in Salem, we were in Brooklyn Horror Fest, we were in Ireland. The movie went to South America, it toured Australia for the entire mm-hmm. summer. Um, we went to just, London like sixty-two times. I, yeah, I, I, I think it was. <laughs> I think um, I'm a permanent resident. You, you might, you might have a, uh, a UK passport now. Oh. And, you know, we had that that festival run, which kind of culminated, didn't end, but kind of the highlight of it was our West Coast premiere at Beyond Fest, which really kind of made the impact on us um, from a six or seven month festival run because uh, it was at Beyond Fest. It was the Thursday night. Uh, the Egyptian holes, you know, 600 plus people, and it was sold 650. out. 650. <laughs> and they they showed Monster Squad, and then we did a big panel in the Q&A with the cast uh, and had Fred Decker kind of uh, come out and get, uh, you know, a, a, a three-minute standing ovation from 650 people uh, that kind of set the tone for the evening after they had just watched Monster Squad. And then we got to watch the documentary, and the place went absolutely bonkers. And it, it kind of set the tone for what we were trying to do, I think. And then we had a couple festivals after that, which were amazing. But that Beyond Fest thing kind of really landed at home on um, that festival run. And um, that, w- that was a great six or seven months on the road for that. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like what specifically about that screening, that double feature, that crowd? Y- so yeah. it's a double feature that starts at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night with the Monster Squad first. Then the Q&A with uh, all the celebrities and everybody, and then me. I don't know why I was there. <laughs> and then Wolfman's Got Nards right afterwards. And this is our L.A. premiere. So everyone that was in the dock was invited to come out. All the fans in California get to see it for the very first time after seeing that we've been at all the other festivals. And Monster Squad plays, and it plays really well. Fred Decker finally gets to see and quantify how many people love his movie in hey. one room which was huge, and he gets this awesome standing ovation. And then my heart sinks, because now it's like 10 o'clock, and I'm like, everybody's going to go home now. No one's going to stay for the documentary. And everybody stays, and they don't just stay. They emote, and they react. And it is really an example of how Beyond Fest probably throws the ultimate fan experience. Mm. Because this audience is like nothing I've ever seen before. Mm. It's very interesting, because... I had been working on that with uh, Christian Parks that runs Beyond Fest and the guys uh, for a couple months. And he asked us to, if you don't do any other festival on the West Coast and you will wait until October, I want to do a big night. I want to rerun Monster Squad. We want to do a thing and let, let's work together to work it out. I was like, I think we would wait and do that. And then I learned something that night that I didn't really know. Because I had, I had gone to, uh, you know, kind of a Q&A panel at Monster Squad at Beyond Fest in 2014, I think. Uh, they played it again this year, uh, or the, the la- Beyond Fest last year. 
Monster Squad is the only movie that Beyond Fest has ever shown twice. Really? Which is a very interesting stat. They don't mess around and do it because they don't repeat. They don't do anything because people go, you already did that. We want sure. what you do. And we didn't know how it was going to play. And like Henry said, there was jam-packed. We brought the cast in. Uh, we kind of rebuilt the treehouse in the lobby again and had the, you know, the poster art and the wardrobe and, and stuff to you know, kind of do a photo op with. And then no one left to watch the doc. And 600-plus people in the Egyptian watching this documentary because there 650. is, there is <laughs> a you know there is a movement and there's a swell and and there's a ride that they go on emotionally when you watch this documentary with a crowd it's great on a screener link on your laptop too but it's a totally different experience when you're a single person in there and 649 people are are there with you and henry and i just stayed off to the stayed off to the side and we were just watching the audience and um it, that that meant a lot. I was watching Fred the entire time. Yeah, looking for those reactions. Yeah, and how'd it go? I couldn't. I couldn't tell at first. I was like, "Does he like this?" And then the movie starts to carry on, and he's starting to react like a kid in the theater. And I'm like, "Oh, I, I, I think I think it worked. I think we did something right." And then afterwards, Fred went up to Andre and me and uh, whispered in our ear and said some of the most motivational stuff that I'm never ever going to forget or share with anyone. Mm. <laughs> but is definitely fuel for the rest of my career. I mean, that's certainly one of the elements of your documentary is you get the impression that, you know, Fred was certainly surprised by the, I guess we call it a re rediscovery of the Monster Squad when the DVD release came out, but yeah. he still seems pretty skeptical for a lot of the doc as well. And then to hear him then watch the documentary and then respond to it, that's that had to have been... You guys... You guys love movies. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. Do you make movies, too? Uh, I've, I've made one movie yeah. that will never be shown ever again. Okay. Why, uh, why will it never be shown ever again? Because it's humiliatingly terrible. But why do I you, have... Did other people tell you that, or do you say that to yourself? I say that to myself. I say that to myself. Everyone says nice things, but they're all... So ima uh, imagine <laughs> that you, your movie you made was a fantastic movie. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> but all the old critics that are used to rating stage plays and things like that and haven't really understood film criticism yet all told you what you made was really terrible. Mm, mm, mm. And you put your heart and your soul in that movie. Yeah. There'd be a little bit of trauma connected to that. Right, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I, I, and I understand that. And that certainly comes across in your documentary. You right. feel that pain that has solidified and also been... Guarded. Is that is that something that you think about as you're putting the doc together? Like, do you think about that trauma while you're making the doc, the love letter to this thing. film in this community? I think Andre's invincible, uh, but I was terrified the entire time, and I think that fear about how is this going to play? Is this representative of Andre's feelings of my feelings? Is there a piece of us? Is this honest? I think th those fears make it good. What did you experience? Yeah, I don't know if I'm invincible in that aspect. I think You're Superman um, to me. I, well, thank you. I I knew what was there. If we're talking about Fred specifically, yeah. and even with you know with the fan base at, at, at large, so that was almost the easy part. Um, Fred, uh, I, I knew what was there. I knew it was inside, uh, and then I kind of had you know kind of this this dream fulfillment kind of idea or this wish fulfillment idea of what. I knew it was there, and and would it come out? Um, it wasn't asking Fred to do anything 
you know, that wasn't accurate or wasn't honest or wasn't true. No. I knew it was there, and I knew if he had the, the the right situation and was comfortable enough that he would he would tell his story. And he's the only one that can tell that story for sure. Um, because he's the only one that has this super singular individual relationship with the Monster Squad as a movie and with the reaction that the world had to it uh, and then that the reaction that the world had to it later on. It's fascinating. And, you know, Fred, you know, he says, you know, he, he says a lot of it in the doc. And it's something that he appreciates, celebrates, struggles with. One of the selfish things that I kind of wanted at the end when Fred finally saw this with a theater full of people, because that's what we really wanted. Henry and I, you know, we, we spoke to him before and like, we really wanted him to see it for the first time uh, with people, not on a screen or link in his, in his, in his, you know, couch. And cause it's, it's a big difference. And I think that night, you know, I kind of had all that kind of planned for months and months and months. And I, I, I think it hit, I think it hit home. Um, I think it uh, at least impacted uh, him a little bit into having, to be okay, maybe not change his mind on his feelings, but to be okay with his feelings of what it is, because I think that might be a little bit what it was. Is like he doesn't know, like we would, none of us would know how to how to how to feel. It's like, are we feeling the right thing? Is this is this correct? Is this mean? Is this bad? Is this dumb? Is this pointless? Uh, but just to be okay with however you feel about it, and and just maybe you know have this little like, you know gravity bump that gets you out of that orbit that you've been in for so long and go into a different orbit of the same thing. And that gives you a completely different perspective. And I was just hoping for a little one degree change maybe. And uh, maybe that happened. I hope it did. I don't think he's being cynical or skeptical per se. Mm -mm. Um, it took a lot of avenues to get Fred to do that interview. Uh, Andre in constant communication with him. One night I was at John Carpenter and Fred was in line and me and my buddy Josh Miller went up to him and just started talking to him <laughs> where I got on a soapbox and <laughs> just told him everything the documentary was not going to be. And remember saying at the end of the day, this is a movie that will explain why we fall in love with movies. So if you've ever fallen in love with a movie, you might want to be part of this too. Uh, and then he asked us to resend him the link after that and Andre followed up with an email. I think what it, he is is very honest, and I think we were so lucky for him to be honest with his emotions. And uh, I get the ups and the downs. And he's in a really good place right now. I have so much love and respect for him. And and, and I always have. And I, you know, I'm just I'm glad that that he's in a good place, and I hope that good place just keeps getting gooder. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like fandom is such a. a a tricky animal because as it is in 2019, people love things for a variety of different reasons. You know, is it irony based? Is it, you know, is the, is the fandom coming from a, a mocking place? Is it coming from a loving place? And what I really appreciate about your documentary is that it explores many different ways one can love a film, but it does show how, the people who love the Monster Squad, I mean, it is a genuine absorption. Like, it's, it's a, it, it, it hits hard for them, and they want people to feel how they feel. It, and that's the, the, that was what I learned about over the, you know, since 2006, 2007, in this kind of resurgence, rediscovery. And I kept hearing these stories that didn't stop coming, which is not a bad thing. And they were all different and individual, but they all kind of were the same. They were all connected um, with that 
that umbilical cord. Like they connected to this movie and it feeds them. And, and what's more important is they feed it. And that's what made it grow for so long. And I, I don't know what other example, you know, that's out there. You know, there's other great movies that have great, you know, fans. But fandom, I don't equate Monster Squad fans with like fandom as that, that broad term. They are a part of this movie because they're the ones that connected and kept it alive. And, and it, in, to find out that a movie, regardless if it did well or not, did well in a box office, actually changed or impacted mm-hmm. someone's life, uh, you know, hopefully in a positive way, or in a career path, or in an inspiration for what they wanted to yeah. do, or th- and then they always go back to that. And then 25, 30 years later, they real- they're sitting in a room, and while you're talking about that, they have a rele- revelation that, oh, wait a minute, I didn't even realize what you're sitting here asking me about holy cow and that happened more than once when i had already seen it and i wanted to make sure that just got told and let them know because people are so inside of it and sometimes they didn't even see it themselves i got a thought and a question but first the question's for you andre whoa (laughs) um were you worried about the fan response before the doc screened was I worried about the fan response about the doc? Yeah, like did we represent them accurately or uh that that was probably my only kind of, you know, any type of, you know, tinge of apprehension was, you know, did did we hit what I know was there? Like what what we were trying to bring out and did we do it? Did we honor that connection well enough and did we service that energy? Uh you know, we've been reinforced a little bit over time as, as more and more audiences see this as we go that I, I, th- I, th- I think we might have. And that's and that's lucky. While we were making the documentary, the fans of the Monster Squad are the reason why I fell back in love with being a fan. Mm. Because there were a lot of shitty fans mm-hmm. and toxic behavior going on at the same time. Uh, I, I don't remember the years per se, but it's still going on. This, <laughs> the, the Joker's in the air right now, Henry. Right, right now. But I mean, back then it was like the stuff with Wonder Woman, yeah, the Star stuff, Wars. stuff with Miss Marvel, the stuff with uh, Star Wars, and it's like, oh my goodness! When I was a kid, I opened up a comic book, being like, one day I hope we get a movie that doesn't have Christopher <laughs> Reeves that represents superheroes. That'd be really cool. And now we have. All of these movies and old Henry would be like, we just need to be thankful that we're getting this stuff. Let's not go to war. (laughs) Let's not go to war and let's not fight about it. Uh, And there's a weird part of fandom and toxic masculinity and things like that where people want to put people down because they know about something more than the other person does. And those people don't exist among the Monster Squad fans. Mm. No, it's almost the complete opposite. Yeah. It's they, you know, the, the other type of people that you mentioned will walk into a room and they will meet in the middle and they will try to explain why this half of the room is, is, is wrong or, you know, why their half of the room is right. Two Monster Squad fans will walk in an opposite side of the room and they'll see someone in a Stephen King rule shirt or a Monster Squad, you know, or Fright Rags or something. They, they just point, they give a little <laughs> nod and they just sit down and they become friends. Or another one will be like, nice shirt. And the person who's wearing the shirt will be like, thanks. Another person goes by and they'll be like, I love The Shining. <laughs> and they don't get it. And that sure. Monster Squad fan will just say, thank you. you and then you, wink at the other one. And be like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, have a, uh, an idea of why that might be within the Monster Squad fandom? Why it might be so inclusive? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll do my quick one because I know you have a, a much better explanation of that 
of that. Well, I don't know if that's dynamic. True. <laughs> um, I, I always I always distill it down to um, to two words. Um, it's the heart and authenticity of the story and of the characters. You know, the fans resonate either with one of the of the Monster Squad or one of the monsters or all of the monsters or the squad as a whole, and that's what they wanted. And they just connected because they felt that that could be them. Uh, a lot of other movies are fantastical and they don't really have that feeling. Um, something about Monster Squad was just authentic and it hit them and it just made it real for them. Even though it was the most unreal story you could possibly imagine, you know, the little rascals fighting the classic Universal Monsters. That's never going to happen. And then there it is. It'll but what happen. that did is they could get together, build the treehouse in their backyard, and go out and fight whatever monsters that they envision or concoct or real monsters in their neighborhood. We were the outsiders. We were the outcasts. We were the driving mutants. We were uh, the people that were tossed aside, and all we wanted was a clubhouse and people to hang out with it. And mm. because of that movie, The Monster Squad, that's the clubhouse we're all the ca- uh, outcasts, and through the movie, we learn how to fight life's perils. Monster Squad is about fandom. Monster Squad is fandom. Yeah, like I watched absolutely. that film. I was your age, you know. Like I saw, I saw those kids, and I was like, these kids are into what I'm into. Yeah. It's okay to be into this stuff. Like I can obsess over Frankenstein and Invisible Man yeah. and what have you, and it's okay. Invisible Man's still, uh, it's not my favorite, but it's still good, Billy. <laughs> not to get a little bit toxic, but when I watched The Goonies, Chunk was a fat kid with yeah. a hand in the blender, and the entire time, he was a consistent fat joke. Yeah. Horace was the kid that cocked the shotgun at the end. Yeah, my name is Horace. Yeah. I'm not fat kid. Yeah. Yeah, I just killed the creature. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know that you guys participated in the um, Monster Squad, but what other movies have you participated other than um, Wolfman's Got Nards? Uh, Well, uh, I started uh, very young. I started acting when I was five years old and did a lot of television, um, a a couple films when I was young. I I was mostly a TV kid. I did a ton of TV shows and then got fortunate enough to be cast in the Monster Squad and then after Monster Squad came out and didn't do too well, I went right back, you know, to a couple television shows. Um, and I've been, you know, I've been in a, hand, a handful of uh, things leading up to the Monster Squad, which led to me being cast in there. And you may or may not know this, Claire, but I didn't audition for the role that I got. I actually auditioned and screen tested for the role of Rudy, which was the cool kid with the leather jacket. Um, because of my body of... So in the end, they didn't think I was cool enough, and they were probably totally right. Uh, But my body of work on television leading up to that last couple years, I was that cool with with, you know with a lot of product in my hair and a cool leather jacket and you know stylish. And then we got rearranged a little bit, and it worked out perfect because I think Ryan Lambert is Rudy. Um, He brought the toughness and the coolness and the swagger to it, but he also had that kind of vulnerability and that sensitivity to it um, that I, I I may very well may have missed. Uh, me switching over to getting a terrible haircut and wearing homemade, you know, um, iron-on shirts and being the insufferable know-it-all that's just telling everybody what to do constantly. I fit right into that, actually. <laughs> uh, but uh, right after The Monster Squad, I did a, a, a TV show called Mr. President, which was one of the first shows on Fox as a brand-new network. Now everybody knows Fox. It used to didn't exist. And uh, it was one of the first six or seven shows on that with a very famous actor named uh, George C. Scott. The changeling himself. The changeling himself (laughs) and Patton himself. Um, 
and Exorcist Three. Exorcist Three, <laughs> the um, best Exorcist. Correct. <laughs> Henry says it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and 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 a very funny guy named Conrad Bain who had done a ton of television like Maud and Different Strokes and uh, Madeline Kahn joined the show in season two. Ooh. So you know we just have all these heavyweights of just crazy deep drama in orbital comedy. You know just way out in the in the, in the atmosphere. Uh, and then I joined the cast of a show called The Hogan Family for a season. And then I went to college. I took a break and I went to college and um, did a lot of fun stuff there. And then last, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, I've been in and out of the business and um, done a couple movies and a couple things for friends. And I've been more producing and developing and got to direct Wolfman's Got Nards with Henry. But I also have a whole other balancing that's not just industry life, you know, or not just movie industry kind of world, which uh, I think kind of rounds you out a little bit, uh, gives you... Uh, a wider perspective, uh, but then also just makes you appreciate movies and the movie industry and entertainment that much better when you have to do something that's not that, right? So you're like, I want to do that. <laughs> and um, But you can take what you learn from everything else and apply it in, in anything in, in, in the movie industry. So that's what I've been doing and really trying to accomplish in the last you know 10 or 15 years. I worked on another documentary called The Boy Band Con, the Lou Pearlman story. <laughs> Uh, which is about the manager of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, and he was a really bad guy. So you could say that's my second horror documentary. I want to watch that. <laughs> uh, it's on YouTube Premium. Really? But you know what I really want to do? What? Have you seen Star Wars? Yeah. Have you seen Empire Strikes Back? What? Empire Strikes Back? No. Well, no, you've seen it. It's the last. Oh. It's the last of the original trilogy. Oh, yeah. Second last. No, second last. Come on, Billy. You're Come on, on the guys. podcast, so Billy. Down. Come on, Billy. <laughs> the one in the snow. The yeah. one in the snow at the beginning. <laughs> That's We're going to delete We're going to ignore that. that. Actually, here, here comes the point of Henry's thing. The, wa- the he Wampa is, is going to come and tear red, you right. apart. Look at him. Look at him. He's never been more embarrassed. Anyway, so, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Do you remember Chewbacca, the hairy monster? The hairy monster? I want to make a Star Wars trilogy in style of a movie called Apocalypto, where <laughs> the first movie is all Wookiees, which is a bunch of Chewbacca's. No subtitles. They speak in their native tongue. And there is a star that falls in the sky, and this makes the Wookiees migrate. And by the time they get to the end of the first film, winter sets in. And what you find out, that star was a very big spaceship, a, a, a destroyer, filled with wampas. Because the Empire wants to clean out the Wookiee plant. <laughs> so then the second movie is Wookiees versus wampas. But the young Wookiee in the first one falls in love with the young wampa. Lumpy. And they make a Wakampa. And in the third movie, <laughs> it's the rise of the Wakampa. <laughs> That brings the two Wookiee-type aliens together oh in an uprising against the Empire. Oh my God! Uh, I'll 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 chip in a Kickstarter five dollar. <laughs> um, I had a question for you. In, yes. In another part of the, the chat, yeah, you said that you were that it was very scary. Monster Squad was very scary. Oh yes. And I'd like to comment that is not scary at all. Oh, you're <laughs> correct. I was saying making the documentary was scary because we didn't know what was going to happen or how it turned out, and that's kind of a good feeling for an artist to have. But parts of the movie Monster Squad are a little bit scary, not at all. I don't think for Claire. She's seen some movies that are much. Uh, <laughs> what about much deeper when than, Wolfman than blew up and his pieces came back together? 
Nah. Nah. Like, nah. Claire, I've seen that like 17 times. Yeah, well, you you're so much she... more braver than I am. Claire, I'm a Freddy cat. Claire, what, what is it about Monster Squad that you enjoy? Like, what is it about the film that you really respond to? How it captures you in just like books, but instead of like, wow. instead of like it's capturing you in with the reading, you can see it in the screen. Because mm. a lot of movies I watch, it's just like, this is how the story goes. And then it just goes through the movie. But in other movies, they show, like in the beginning title, it talks about how these sets of guys try to destroy the monsters, but they failed. Yes. <laughs> and then they, and then, they, then they go to the movie. And then they actually, the first scene is saying, is showing how they didn't do all of it. Yeah. And they failed. So I thought that that was really good. That's and awesome. I also thought, did they steal that from Star Wars? The crawl? A little bit. But I back think in the 80s, they did that all the time. Highlander did that. Like. I, I think that you just can't do the backwards can't. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of trademarked. But um, you make a great point about how Monster Squad resonates with people because it's the storytelling of it, like a good book, will bring you into it and you can envision it yourself. And I think you pop right into kind of the fantasy and, and then you go into present day. That's a great, uh, that's actually the first time someone's actually gone that deep on the opening of Monster Squad. And that's shout, amazing. I love that. Shout out to Gateway Horror. I mean, shout out to the Monster Squad, Goosebumps, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, ben David. Gabrinsky mm -hmm. just rebooted Are You Afraid of the Dark? Have you guys checked out I the first episode? I need to watch episode? it. I haven't seen it yet. It is fantastic. Will you watch it? Will you watch a TV show that I recommend? Maybe. It's <laughs> called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it's about a girl that goes to a new town and she likes to tell scary stories. And she tells one and then spoilers, it comes true. Interested? It's kind of like another movie that I watched. <laughs> Where it's called like bunked, and then they t and then every story they tell by the campfire. Yeah. You'll see it'll it'll sh it'll go like up at the sky, and then it'll spark, and oh, then wow. it'll go to the next scene. It's it's that whole story coming to life with the character that told the story as the main victim, if there was one. Similar. Yeah, that sounds Similar. great. That's awesome. I'll watch that. You watch. Are you afraid of the dark? Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> you can watch it on Netflix. Oh, oh, cool. You can watch the first episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark on YouTube. So, um, Clay, if you don't mind, uh, I had another question. We were having a conversation. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, uh, you know, we're, we're about to watch the film um, in the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester, which does appear in the documentary yes. in a few shots. Spoiler. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> you know, we're, we're big deal, the Alamo Winchester. Um, but, like... To me, what I get creative fulfillment from hearing your story is we saw the film in Chattanooga a year ago, and you've been going to theater to theater to theater, you know, bringing, your, bringing the film with you, showing it to audiences. Like, your hustle is inspirational. Oh, thanks, man. And, like, I want to know, you know, it takes a lot to make the film. It takes even more to sell the film. And, like, what is getting you to theater to theater having conversations like this on this podcast, the Say F It podcast, what's, what's, what's fueling you? Well, Andre, for one, like he or, uh, orchestrated this whole tour, uh, was a prime reason why we got into so many festivals. Uh, he puts himself out there and he meets people and he develops relationships. Um, I've also done that my entire life. I just don't have the same bandwidth that he has because of his great personality and notoriety. 
I come from a uh, hip hop background. So if you make something, you sell it out of your backpack and you put it into as many hands as you can. And all that matters is that you have listeners. And so for film, it's uh, it's a similar. It's just you need those eyeballs. Uh, and if you have a satisfied uh, customer, they'll come back for more music or more movies. And so with those two things combined, that's definitely what inspires my hustle. I don't want to play to a dark theater. I want it to be filled. We make these things so people can see them. I think the half of it's business and half of it's just what you want to see happen almost um, I, I feel like I'm as woven into the fabric of, you know, kind of the history of the Monster Squad tying in with, you know, with the doc itself. And, and uh, you know, I'm obviously a part of it. And, and then I got lucky with Henry being able to, you know, kind of weave in there as well and, and really bring, you know, m- mostly what's there into it. But, you know, we had a great festival run. And, you know, Henry said, yeah, you know, a lot of it, you know, we got very fortunate. I think we would have gotten into those same festivals because the, the movie's good. Um, it also doesn't hurt that uh, you're the kid from the Monster Squad sometimes, um, which I, I I don't put down. I don't ever see as a negative. I don't ever see as something as as corny or or, or cornball or, or or old or played out um, because of the fans and the people that are putting on festivals that are putting on conventions. Their fans, you know, we fuel them and they fuel us as as the cast. You know, coming into this, you know, Alamo Drafthouse tour, it was trying to be strategically timed uh, with a rollout, you know, wider with the movie. And uh, hopefully that's still happening. We just, it, it's not done dry on the paper yet. Uh, but I knew all of the Alamos uh, that we had been at for the 30th anniversary tour were like, as soon as this is done, just bring it back because we want it. Uh, not just because we're in it, but, you know, you're you and you're the Monster Squad and this is the Alamo and this is sort of, you know, kind of like a home base, really. Well, and, and the documentary is a celebration of film, not just Monster Squad, but film. That was, the, yeah, that was the, almost the very next point, which that resonates with everybody associated, you know, with a name tag that says Alamo, whether they're a server or in the, on the you know, in the corporate office. And, you know, to be able to have that access and go in and, and kind of put together, I was hoping when we trying to do the Alamo tour, we wanted to get you know the movie out so people could see it and then talk about it again and then it could go out wide. Uh, I was really hoping we'd have eight or nine Alamos, um, you know maybe ten. You know with, with the new one Raleigh opening that's sort of my second home. Um, Twenty four wanted it when we made the tour awesome. and we had to trim like four or five off just because of scheduling and October is just not that long and uh, it was crazy and it was amazing it was super exciting it's exciting to be like oh I'm going to Brooklyn man Brooklyn <laughs> is a wild audience they were so great last year they're going to be good to us this year or we're going to Winchester that was mind-blowingly insane like uh, it's good to get to know these people and to count on them. And because of that kind of dynamic, um, you know, I, I think ahead, you know, when this goes out and, and has its distribution and, you know, someone buys the Blu-ray or they go to a theater, they they pull it up on, on TVOD or SVOD or they put it on a streamer and they're watching it, it's going to be kind of weird because you're not there with them. Yeah. And I love sharing this movie with people because we made it for them. And it's going to be really weird at one point in time that someone's going to be watching it and we're not there with them. <laughs> that sounds really weird and creepy, maybe. <laughs> but uh, it's like, no, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be over your shoulder. I but hope they about, treat it right. It's about that connection, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, someone's going to, you know, click or press play on their Blu-ray player. 
um, which we totally want as many of those things to happen as possible. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a that's going to be a little paradigm shift. I mean, yeah. our festival run was amazing because it wasn't just festival crowds because festival crowds are festival crowds. They'll go see something because it's on the programming. Their time slots open. They got to fill it so they see this. But we didn't have a lot of that. We even had fans at the festivals that really wanted to see this. But bringing on this Alamo tour and showing it to actually who it was made with and for, it's it's been awesome. They have an ownership more than a crowd-funded film, and they didn't mm-hmm. have to pay to get it made. So mm-hmm. they're so dedicated, and I'm lucky and grateful. I want to make sure they know that. Claire, we're going to get out of here. Do you have any other questions? What have we covered? I had one question for you. Um, when you were filming um, Monster Squad... Did you have any f- people that you made friends with that you wish you didn't, or people you didn't make friends with that you wish you did? Oh, I really want to know the answer. Claire with the hard-hitting <laughs> question. Well, I think what was great is that I had known a couple of the kids that we made the movie with prior to making the movie. I knew Robbie Kiger, who played Patrick, for, for a number of years because we grew up together. So that was awesome to make a big movie with him. Uh, people like Brent Chalem, who played Horace, had never met before. Uh, someone who played my sister, like Ashley Blank, who was an amazing five-year-old and the hero of the movie. That's right. Uh, just knocked it out of the park. And then Ryan Lambert and I, you know, were the two oldest on set, and we got to be friends for years after that. And then, uh, you know, 20 years later, we get to reconnect. In the last five years, Ryan and I have been real tight. We had our own podcast. Um, we kind of have a little, we, we had a little brand of Ryan and Andre. We got to co-host a TV show together. Um, so that worked out amazing. Um, was there someone that I met that I didn't want to give us the deets? I, I don't. I don't think so. But I'll, I will. I will hedge because it's a very awesome question, and I wish I actually had uh, the thing because it'd be an amazing topic to discuss. Um, I never met until we were done shooting the movie. I never met Duncan Regeer or Tom Noonan because I didn't act in scenes with Duncan Regeer or Tom Noonan. Those were the guys that played Dracula and Frank. Interesting. I did scenes. And we're on set with Dracula and Frankenstein's monster. Those two guys were never out of character, never out of makeup, and never out of costume around us kids. So they could create that atmosphere of reality that that's who they were. And so I didn't meet any of those guys until we were done shooting the movie. So that's kind of a neat answer to your question. So they would break, they would break for lunch, and he'd go up to Frankenstein and be like, hey, that was a really good line. How are you doing? And he'd respond with, <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, the question you always get is, how is it to work with Duncan Regeer? Because he's so amazing. I was like, I don't know. I never worked with Duncan Regeer. I worked with Dracula. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Billy, uh, what what Star Wars is Empire Strikes Back? What episode? I'm pretty sure it's the sec- second? It's episode five, five, Billy. Episode five? It's episode no, five. no, no, no. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. That's predicated on, do the first three exist? It's the yeah, second well, one that came out. Okay, because that's a whole other go? episode of this, right? That's true. That's true. Do the first three exist? Shredded. Uh, Thank you. Uh, guys. Deleted. <laughs> I'm keeping that. No, I just want to make sure you don't go around telling people your favorite Star Wars movie is episode two. And by the way, a good friend of mine is in episode one like six times oh. as a character and an extra because he was working at ILM at the time. And he even goes, yeah. <laughs> it was so, an important movie. If you guys are into the idea of Wookiee versus Wampa, let us know. Yes, because <laughs> yes. we want to. We totally want to make. We that. totally are. Oh, All right. yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so we're going to get out of here. Uh, guys, can we send our listeners anywhere in particular on the social meds? Uh, you certainly can. Uh, if they want to follow Wolfman's Got Nards, a documentary, they can go to at the squad doc. Uh, if they want to follow me for any reason, they can go at Andre Gower on Twitter and Andre Gower Official on Instagram. And if they want to follow me, you can find me at hdilla, H-D-I-L-L-A. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Henry, guys. Andre, so much. Uh, let's go watch a movie. Yeah. Let's do it. Claire, are you it. ready? Yeah. Awesome. Let's see Joker. Whoa. And here we are. We're back. That was a rad conversation. Claire, I am so sorry that your dad does not know what episode <laughs> of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back is. Is that embarrassing for you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you He's see seen how... it like 4,000 times. He plays <laughs> it on every touch. He's seen it so many times. He plays it Every time he puts up the Christmas decorations. Yeah, I've seen the Legos. He says he's a Star Wars fan, but he messed up in the conversation. Oh. And then he turned the color of a tomato. So red. He was so red, Claire. I looked over. He was pink. He was like bright pink. He's oh, bright my pink. favorite color. Sweating pink. red. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you're a pretty good guy. We understand that you misspoke. And you do know that the Wampas are in episode five, which is called Billy. Uh, Revenge of the Jedi. God damn it, Billy. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, Billy. We said that so many times, Daddy. You, Just get I, it right. I get have to keep right. getting it wrong on purpose so nobody can really tell when I'm messing up, which yeah. is like a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, guys. We all know. A lot. A lot. But uh, a for lot. real, how like I like Henry? I don't know if that was a thing that he just like oh right off the top of his head. No, he's been a thinking good about idea. That. That's a great idea. I, I need to watch the Wampa Wookie War, that, Apocalypto style. Yeah, it's a, that's such. An I amazing really want to be like the little kid, like one of the little kids that meet each other and yeah. then create the whole story. I want to be one of those kids. Yeah, yeah. So do I. <laughs> I want to be one of those kids too. You could be a normal one. A normal one. A grown up one. Oh, 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 grown up one. Okay. Uh, I mean, I yeah. Okay, that checks out. Or a teenager. Uh, no, never again. I don't want to be a teenager ever again, Claire. Good luck on that. Um, okay, so Wolfman's Got Nards. It's still going on. I think it's going to end in Raleigh, North Carolina, at the Alamo down there. Uh, so the it's the Dock Till You Drop uh, tour. And man, if it's stopping by an Alamo near you, you really need to go out and see it. You need to go give Andre a hug. You need to give Henry a hug because, man, those are two friendly dudes who are fighting the good fight. And when this film does eventually drop on... Uh, VOD, yeah, watch it creepily and think of Andre uh, feeling uncomfortable when as you watch it. Well, tweet them out. I would say, I would say, because they're both active on social media. Yes. Before you hit play on your movie, just go tweet them and say, hey guys, I'm going to watch your movie now if you want to just live yeah. tweet this with me. Do you feel weird that he told that really rad Wampa Wookiee story and now it's out in the world and maybe somebody at Lucasfilm is going to steal it from him? I... No, I think if anything, uh, with the clout of the It Mod Cash Chat Cast behind him, this will be the notice yeah. that he needs do, to get in the door at Lucasfilm. I Bell. have heard from a reputable source that Kathleen Kennedy does listen to Edmod Chatcast. I, I think, I think that sounds like something I said. She's one of the eleven <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> she was eleven. Eleven subscribers. Yeah. How many are double digits for us? Yeah, uh, uh, like twelve. I think yeah. Bill and Claire gets twelve. Yeah, you get one more than us. Yeah, one, one more. No big deal. One more. We're better than you guys by one more. Yeah. yeah. Well, Queen of Shade, Brad. You cannot pick a shade fight with Claire. She will shred you. I mean, I yeah, feel... I will. Oh, I don't. 
I feel bad. Um, <laughs> uh, Claire, Claire, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find Bill and Claire's? No, I want to know where Claire is. What's your Twitter right. feed? Uh, Do you not have a Twitter feed? Um, you can follow us at BACEA Podcast on cool. Twitter. We'll do that. Are you um, on Instagram yet? No. No, no we're not. Why, yeah. why aren't you Daddy on Instagram? Daddy hates Instagram. Oh it's true. God. I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> the last time I saw a photo was like seven years ago, and I didn't even know it then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, if you you can find the podcast there um, right now, the, the part of the reason that Claire came along today was because we'd been in the middle of a look back at the Universal uh, classic horror monster movies. Um, we did Frankenstein. Uh, we did The Invisible Man. Uh, we did uh, Invisible Man. Yeah, <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, um, Dracula. And uh, we're gonna stop and talk about these movies a little bit, and then we're gonna be coming back. I think by the time this chat comes out. Um, we'll be doing uh, maybe Creature from the Black Lagoon because that's where we're going to close out this series on. Yeah, this is our Halloween episode. So, Ooh, what should be our Halloween episode? Wait, we shouldn't talk about that on camera. Okay, goodbye. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Next week on the ItMod Chatcast, I believe will be Daniel Scheinhert, the uh, director of uh, The Death of Dick Long and the co-director of Swiss Army Man. Yeah, can I just say, man, the chats that you have coming out of Fanta Fantastic Fest are stupid, and I hate that you got to do them, and I'm so mad that I wasn't there for it. Yeah, you should be, because they were holy amazing. shit, dude, I mean, they're you know, really yeah, good. They're, they've, been, they've, been, they've been pretty good so far. They've been pretty good no so far. No curse words with the little kid here. Yeah, that's true. Yes, don't. That's don't, not how it happens don't at swear. home. Don't swear, don't um, swear. Yeah, so Daniel Scheinert of The Death of Dick Long, and, uh, oh, man, uh, speaking of the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd right, yeah. is full metal Modine weekend. And Matthew Modine is going to be joining us on the ItMod Chatcast channel talking about Cutthroat Island, Married to the Mob, Memphis Bell. Memphis Bell. Maybe a little Dark Knight Rises. I kind of want to talk to him a little bit about Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those three movies for sure we're hosting as part of Still Awesome and uh, hopefully you all went to the latest Still Awesome screening. Our Halloween screening was from Dust Till Dawn. I hear it was epic. Fingers crossed. I hope it was epic. It will have been. Yeah? Yeah, it will have been epic? It will have been. Okay. And the next Still Awesome screening is going to be District 9. Oh, man, that's a good one. Yeah. And then guess what? It's already been approved, Billy. Christmas, bring Claire. Eyes wide shut. Claire, Stanley Kubrick's best film. And on that note... <laughs> Uh, follow the other dorks. Uh, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork. Brian Young at the Turtle Dork. Billy Das, he's at WB Das. He's already mentioned that, right? Uh, Lisa no. Gullickson is at Sidewalk Siren. Did I not? You, you did not. You did the Bill thing? Yeah. In Bill and Claire Bill thing? Bill thing, yeah. Where, where can we find you on social media? At WB Das, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. This episode has been so well structured. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on all social medias at Mouth Dork. Follow the podcast at It Modcast. And yeah, uh, anything else? Peace though? out. Peace out? Peace out. Let's do it that way. Let's All right. I'm not going to do it the normal way. Three, two, one, peace out. Three, two, peace. one, peace out. Three, two, two one, peace, peace out. out. Take care. <laughs>